there is no death. It is only a transition to a different sphere of consciousness. Carol Ann is not like those she's with. She is a living presence in their spiritual earthbound plane. Hello and welcome to episode three of Talking to the Dead podcast. In the last episode, I made contact with a soldier who it appears to me was in um, Ukraine and had been very, very badly injured and had eventually died on the battlefield. Uh, what wasn't particularly nice about that, uh, that, that episode was uh, I think we kind of left the poor soldier um, dead and stuck between two worlds. And uh, my friend Isabel mentioned to me that it seems particularly tragic that a soul has not been able to leave his body and die peacefully enough that he can say goodbye to his physical body. She wondered, is there not something that we can do to help this poor person uh, to, to, to move towards the light, as some people would say, allow him that peace that he could leave his physical body for good and go on his way. So before we start this week's episode, I want to return to the soldier and I'm going to concentrate hard on that individual and see if I can get him back and I want to ask him some questions. The main question will be, what can I do or what can we do to help you leave your earthly situation where you feel unable to leave your physical, um, your physical body completely and move on to the astral plane? Okay, so I asked that question a few minutes ago and I've been thinking about what the reply might be. And... I have managed to make contact with him again. He wants to make it very clear to me that the situation that he's in is not by accident. This is not a situation that has been caused by any other person than himself. He chose his life. He chose that he would become a soldier. He chose that he would die on the battlefield. He's giving me this indication that he knew full well that this would end this way. Uh, and the reason he chose to, to be killed as a soldier, believe it or not, he, he says it's something that he's done more than once, maybe a number of times. Uh, and each time, he obviously feels that the things that he's learned from that experience have been really immeasurable in his overall development. But more, he's saying to me that it's the effect on the people around him and it's the effect on society in general that is so important to him um, as a soldier, but as a soldier who gets killed in action, a soldier who leaves behind, yes, he leaves behind his family, his friends, and in a way causes such personal tragedy on the face of it, it sounds like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to keep repeating something that is so tragic, not only to you, but also to those around you and to the world? And the message came through really clearly that 
it's because there are a group of people who live lives deliberately to do that. It's almost as if there's a, a help group of people who go back and they live lives that on the face of it to us might seem really rather pointless and undesirable. But that's the whole point to them. They go back and they live lives and they can be very tragic. Um, they can be very destructive. But they make news. They, they create an awareness. They create a huge amount of energy that can be a, a force for good as well as bad. It can encourage people to see the senselessness of war, um, the senselessness of, of fighting over something so stupid. And I think in this case, I'm being given this message that, yes, he, he does realize that he's died. He does realize why he's there. He is sad and he is lonely, but this is a phase that he's going through. And eventually, I, I have, again, this very strong feeling that it's not really going to be very long before all the bodies that are lying in these fields, at the moment unclaimed, um, many of them perhaps people don't even know that they're, they're dead yet, their families don't even know, they're just missing. But these, these people will be found, and he knows that that'll be the end of it for him, and then he will be able to move on peacefully. But for now, um, it's a part of a very strong energy field that he and many people in his situation have set up in order just to demonstrate to everyone how pointless war is, how pointless killing is. Um, and the effect it's having on everyone is creating a lot of notice. So now I want to call on my spirit guide and ask if my spirit guide is there and invite her to communicate with me or indeed to invite anybody who would like to communicate with me. I have a very strange feeling. Um, what came screaming out to me, and actually this happened to me yesterday when I was going to work on my bicycle, but it's happened again now, where somebody is screaming out and just saying, I am a pet. What is your name? I'm getting the name Francis. And Francis, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, Francis is, I think, a monkey. And he is telling me, in fact, that he's more than a pet. Um, he's loved by the people who, who look after him in life. But he was actually a research monkey. Uh, and he was killed as part of medical research, I think, into, into medicines. In fact, I think these... This research was done during the COVID crisis, where various um, drugs and, he says, almost poisons, were deliberately injected into him and his colleagues, his friends, his fellow monkeys. And they, they died um, in order to help us understand the effects of drugs on human bodies. H how did you die, Francis? Well, in Francis's case, it, in a way, it's a rather inglorious death. He, he didn't die because of um, any particular 
drug that was in, injected into him. He died eventually because they just wanted to get rid of him. Um, he's telling me that um, there were there was quite a scandal apparently, um, and some doctor, somebody in charge in this particular research station, um, decided that um, they needed to kill all the all the animals. So he was alongside. He's saying hundreds of other animals just mercilessly killed. So Francis, how would you describe the experience of, of death? He's telling me that the experience of death for him was the experience that anybody would feel because at the point that he was killed, he became immediately back to his own um, original soul personality and this personality is just the same as me or anybody else who's ever lived or any entity that has ever lived uh, and it's a conscious aware highly intelligent uh, person and he chose uh, to become a research monkey again it must be rather similar to the soldier of before where you might think well why would you want to choose a life as a research monkey um, but again, I think he's now telling me that um, he's always had a tremendous love of animals and he's always enjoyed animals and having animals as pets. And he's now saying that's why he's calling out and saying, I'm a pet. Um, he is very, very um, frustrated, as are a lot of people in the beyond, the next level, what do you want to call it, about the way that we treat animals. Um, and he's immediately pointing out to me uh, that I'm, a, I'm not a vegetarian, I'm a meat eater, and I love my meat. And I'm sorry about that, Francis, but I do enjoy my meat. But he's uh, sort of giving me a bit of a criticism there. But he's understanding enough to know that people do eat meat, but he feels that it's the ethical side of meat eating that we should be paying attention to. We should be sourcing meat that's in... Um, it, it, that, is, it, that is done with as little pain to the animals as possible in an ethical way. But he feels that his death as a laboratory animal, as small as and, and inconsequential as it may be, he's telling me it is extremely important because not only does he feel that he's part of a process that could be helping humanity because um, his, his sacrifice, if you like, helps medical science move forward, but also it's raising this consciousness that animals are very much more than we think they are. And there's really no badness in wanting to, if you like, come back as an animal and to try to raise awareness um, for the sadness that's created when animals are not looked after properly, that are murdered, if you like, for pointless exercises. And he's not saying that there's anything pointless about medical research. In a way, I think he feels that this is almost an acceptable way to die if it helps humanity. But to be murdered pointlessly and to be treated with such disdain as if they're nothing is something that he really wants people to know is wrong. Do you have any love or hate towards anyone or anything now? And if so, why? Well, um, it immediately came into my mind. He obviously isn't terribly enthusiastic about the manager or whoever it was of this facility that he was in who uh, decided to make the decision to uh, to cancel this program for whatever reason. And it does seem to me that they were doing something very wrong. 
Uh, I'm not terribly sure where it was. It actually, for some reason, it seems to be coming into my mind that it may be China, um, but it certainly seems to be a place where there's um, a need to to quickly um, get rid of these animals because um, it could be embarrassing if uh, if they're found or anything about them. Are there any things that you regret? <laughs> yeah, he feels a tremendous regret. Um, that he was a an animal that was bred in captivity. It wasn't a chance for him to really um, enjoy a life in a forest or in a wild environment. And he, he regrets that it was just a, a short life in captivity. How do you see the world and its challenges today from the other side, Francis? Well, Francis, again, probably unsurprisingly, wants to see things very much in terms of animal cruelty uh, and in terms of our treatment of pets and animals in general. Uh, And he's saying that, in a way, he sees the world as very immature in the way that it reacts to animals and the way it treats animals, and that he feels that that's the big challenge for us as humans, a, a challenge to learn to live with animals in a peaceful way, a, a, a way to live with animals without having to kill them. Uh, and probably he's, t- he's, he's looking at me again and, he, uh, and eating them. Uh, I, I'm sorry about that, Francis, but um, it, you know, I've, I, I know that from my vegetarian wife, I, it's not a very nice thing to be doing, but I realize I, I'm, I'm a bit guilty there myself. What advice do you have for people who are living now? Well, he he says that the best advice is that he feels that everyone should have some experience of looking after an animal or having an animal or having a pet. He feels that, um, yes, there are not enough people who grow up with a pet or with an animal, caring for an animal, and then learning that an animal is a sentient human being in a way. It's everything that we are, um, but in an animal's body. And where it came from was just the same place that we came from. And that we have so much to learn from each other, if only we tried, rather than just seeing it as a, seeing animals as dumb or um, suitable only for eating or for working. I, I got the answer to this question before I even asked it, which was basically, is it true that before we are born, we choose what we want to learn and experience? And of course, you know, that immediately came into my mind before I even answered the question. And that's what Francis has done. He's, he has decided um, alongside uh, his colleagues, if you like, that they wanted to experience um, an animal's life on earth. I'm rather interested in that, that, um, you know, that a pet or an animal, um, I suppose you could go as far as a fly. Could I go as far as a fly? And yes, I could. He's telling me that every form of living existence on this, this planet, every form of animal, every form of plant, everything is consciousness and everything is there for a reason. And he and his friends chose and regularly choose um, to reincarnate, if you like, as animals in order to be able to experience or in, in order to have some effect. Um, and it seems to be you know, almost way beyond my understanding, but that seems to be what goes on. I've, I'd be interested, Francis, that if you've lived um, as, as different animals, could you tell me an existence that you had as another animal? And just again, as I was saying that, 
um, I saw a horse. And yes, I, I saw a horse and it was probably uh, an old um, cart and it was, uh, I think, maybe two horses pulling this cart. And, and I think Francis is trying to show me that, yes, once he chose to be a horse. I, I would ask why, again, you'd want to choose to be a horse. Um, he's, he's telling me that in the period that he was last a horse, it was a time when there weren't motor cars, life was very, very simple for people. And to be part of that experience of humanity developing and building and growing was a very interesting project. And to be a horse, it gave him an, an, a unique position that he could um, be part of helping humanity um, in his own way, whether it was pulling a truck or um, being of service in some kind. And he's, he's pointing out to me that this is really the absolute most important thing he can say, uh, that being an animal is almost the ultimate being of service to humanity. And without animals, um, we would be so, so far behind. We wouldn't have reached where we've managed to reach as humanity. And that's no accident. This is because um, people have chosen in order to be able to help us become animals. Um, not become animals, but have helped us understand animals and have helped us in our way develop our society. Is there anyone, Francis, that you would uh, like to pass a message to or anything that I can, I, can, uh, I can do to pass on anything that you would like? A very strange feeling. I mean, he just said to me, I just want to thank the person that gave me an ice cream. Um, was that as your your last life as a monkey or, or your life as a horse? And he said, no, he said it was actually his life as a dog. And he said that um, what was so nice was being shown kindness. And that kindness of somebody giving him an ice cream, he remembers as being such a nice feeling. And he said, that's again what it's all about. Um, being an animal or being a pet like a dog is not just for us to to have around for safety or security, but it's also a way for us to express our love, to express our kindness. And he said there was really no better feeling than when some human would actually treat him well and gave him an ice cream. Thank you, Francis, for coming through. So I would like to see, uh, have a little... Uh, time to rest while I'm switching the recording off, but I'm going to try to make contact with someone else. Okay, and, and what is your name? And he says his name is Humphrey. And when did you die? I think he's saying 1967. And what, how did you die, Humphrey? Humphrey is telling me that he killed himself. And how would you experience, how would you describe your experience of death, Humphrey? Um, he, he said it was planned. Um, he was very depressed. He was very miserable. Um, he could no longer stand the stress of what he was seeing and doing all day long. He's telling me most, most I really feel this strongly, that he was a doctor. And um, yes, he, he'd, he'd saved lives, he'd helped a lot of people, uh, 
but he ended up in a spiral of of addiction of drunk behavior and drugs and he had problems with his family and his children um and he ended up um taking a cocktail of poison himself and killing himself how would you describe the experience of of death humphrey um he's telling me that he didn't actually really intend to kill himself um he took a very strong amount of sedatives or something um and i can see him lifting the glass and he's showing me how he did it and he uh i think in a way didn't really want to die i think he was making almost a a very emotional statement and probably hoping that he wouldn't die and maybe he would yeah you know, he'd be discovered so what happened then when you died what what was the experience he said well he was very very troubled and again um i'm getting that impression that this was a planned life to be a doctor but in the case of dying in this way or committing suicide he said in a way this was not part of the plan this was part of his free will and he hadn't actually chosen to kill himself but ended up i suppose overdosing and he said that promptly as soon as he left his physical body and he remembers that he remembers that sense of the the physical body everything going dark everything going still and quiet he remembers a tremendous sense of peace and then he remembers waking up in a almost like a hospital environment but in a very nice clean organized way he was on his own in a room um there were a lot of people there who could help him and it was again he's saying it's almost like a psychiatric ward he said because of all the issues that he'd gone through there were a lot of people waiting for him to help him to help him get over all the psychological problems that he'd experienced in his human form um in order to make sure all the negativity uh, all the unpleasantness that he was feeling and had gone through would be dealt with before he moved on so i i would just want to ask you Humphrey so if you didn't choose to die but you chose the experience of being a doctor um yeah um h- how do you feel now that things didn't quite go according to your your plan originally he's saying that it's not a problem he he said that obviously we have an element of free will and the the whole purpose of that is that we can learn more experiences that way because you can't always predict what's going to happen in life and as much as you might go in with the intention of doing something something particular um when something random happens that allows you to change your direction um it's a good thing to do to do that um and he said that he has learned an awful lot from that experience um and he was just very sad again that in the process of killing himself he's caused such hurt to his family and in a way he wants to reach out to his family and they were um he left behind a wife and two children and a lot of extended family and they were terribly devastated by by his death and he said he's never been able to in that respect um heal that because it's not easy to you know to get through to people who are living there for all the billions and billions of souls he's telling me that are out there trying to make contact with the living there are not that many conduits there are not many people who can pass on messages to the living and he's really glad that he got this opportunity um to to express 
his sadness. He said, although, you know, it's not going to be possible to really identify who he is and who his family are, and in a way he's now saying that he doesn't really want to do that. He doesn't really want to after all this time, because in our time this was 1967, it's a long time ago. But he said it's nice that he can actually say it and he can get it out there, um, that it was a mistake and he had no intention of causing all this harm. But he was in a terrible mess um, and you know things were not going well for him. Humphrey, is there anything else you'd like to say to me or anything that you'd like to pass on or any message the, that you could pass on to us in, on this earth? He, he wants to point out to me that he chose to be a doctor um, because he wanted to heal people. He wanted to be helping people. Um, but he wanted just to quickly tell us all what is going on from his point of view now. He's very interested in medicine. Um, he's always been interested in medicine. And the people that he hangs out with, if you like, um, are also of the same. They be, they've either been uh, doctors or nurses or health, health professionals in some way or other. Um, but also they, they help make discoveries. They help discover cures to diseases. Um, they come up with new treatments. And they work very hard and very, very diligently where they are now and then pass that information um, through themselves when they're born, that there is a memory within them when they're born that eventually will come out when they're a doctor. And, you know, it'll seem like a flash of intuition, but it's not really. It's because they've already pre-planned this in order to help humanity in some way or other. And they will then go on and perhaps invent something or dis discover, so to speak, uh, a cure for something. Um, or will be able to help people. So it's a very deliberate planned process, um, a process that comes from that creation space and is brought to the earth space. Is there anything else, Humphrey, now you've had that chance to, to talk to me, that yes, he, he just wants to say um, that he really loved playing games. Um, he, he loved playing chess. Um, he was a great fan of chess as well. Um, and he says that he still does that now. Um, but he's just encouraging people to take up playing chess. Uh, yeah, and he wants me to also mention that it's funny, um, from his point of view, how uh, we on Earth spend so much time um, trying to be healthy and trying to keep young and um, almost, he says, not really enjoying the Earth experience because we're more worried about avoiding the death experience, which is a nice way of seeing it. And he says that he would just want to pass a message to us that really there's very little we can do to avoid the ultimate death of the human body. Uh, there's not much we can do to delay the amount of, uh, amount of time it is before we die. Um, these things are all choices that we've made. And he just feels, in a way, we should try to live our life as much as possible without worrying about our health and without taking all these drugs and medicines. Because ultimately, it's a pointless exercise because we've chosen this life anyway. And we're going to die as we should, in the time that we should. Yeah, he told me that, you know, even when you perhaps have cancer, he's suggesting to me that it's almost rather pointless having treatment because, in a way, the choice is to die of cancer or not die of cancer and just go through the experience and recover. But he finds it all rather uh, ridiculous, he's saying, that uh, we spend so much time 
um, taking drugs that harm us more and probably make death more painful. So I don't, yeah, I'm not quite too sure I agree with that, but that's what he's saying. Yeah, and he wants to mention that, in fact, we don't need so much of this medicine. He says that just about everything that we need to be cured of can be cured of within our own body. It's a question of um, thinking about it and getting that impression that you can heal yourself and concentrating on yourself and making sure that you think positively about any illness that you have. Uh, he's mentioning that a lot of illness is caused by the mind and it's caused by the, the circumstances that you're in. And if you change the negative circumstances that you're in, then, um, yeah, sometimes you can change the level of your health as well. And actually, he's pointing out something to me that uh, my friend Linda mentioned the other day about shadow work, which was interesting because I had never heard of that before until uh, Linda mentioned it. And he's saying to me that he's passing actually this message uh, through me to Linda to talk about shadow work and how important that is. This is the ability to be able to to deal with things in your life that are, are bringing you down or giving you negative thoughts or, or making you unhealthy because um, of you're spending too much time thinking or worrying about something. These are your shadows. It's a, a Jungian principle, apparently. And he's saying this is so true. You should really trust, just look at all the things in your life and at one point... Think, what can I discard? What can I get rid of? How do I make my life positive? And in a short, short way, he's just reiterating, that is what's going to keep you living longer. That's going to make you live a healthy, happy life. Thank you very much for coming to speak to me, Humphrey. Well, I, I suppose, um, in a way, I knew this would come. And this is something, in a way, that I've been trying to avoid, because I don't really feel so comfortable in glamorous people coming through or famous people coming through because to me in a way that immediately um, sounds like it's fake or um, you know it's being designed to generate publicity but I'm afraid um, I mentioned to you in the introduction that a number of years ago nearly four years ago now um, Neil Peart of Rush the drummer of Rush um, he kind of came to me when I was listening to some music and said that he wanted to communicate through me. And I, I mentioned it to a friend, but I never really did much about it. And I really felt strongly also that part of what I'm doing now is because, in a way, Neil is trying to use me. Now, he's a, he did actually um, communicate with me, I think, last week and um, gave me all sorts of interesting thoughts. But He's actually come in through now, so um, I suppose uh, I've, I've got to give you a go, Neil, and, and allow you to start talking to me. Um, he wants to say straight away um, that he is not, well, never was a believer, particularly in anything spiritual. Um, I think he's indicating to me that, yes, he had a religious upbringing, and I think there was the sense of religion, but he said he'd become basically almost an, uh, an atheist or an agnostic in his life. Um, and, um, he, but he believed, I think, in making sure that his children didn't, believe, didn't grow up that way. Um, I think he wanted to encourage people to, and encourage his children to, to get experience of religion because he felt it was important that they make up their own minds and not just listen to silly old dad, as he's saying, who was just 
you know, going to tell them what to think and what to do, which, of course, he absolutely despises that. There's nothing that despises more it's than, than his parents telling him what to do or people telling him what to do. He wanted to discover things himself and make his own mistakes. Um, he's telling me that, that um, if anybody wanted any proof that this is him, um, he said that he has already done that because before he died, he said that he spoke to um, a few people that are very close to him and they know who they are. And he, that he told them that he would make every effort, if it was at all possible, to, um, to come through and communicate and show that there was life, or if they didn't hear from him, that there obviously wasn't life after death. But he's saying that if those people that he spoke to ever hear this podcast, um, then if they make themselves known, he will then pass on more information. But for now, he just wants to say that, you know, there are two or three, only two or three people who he specifically told um, that he would communicate with, and he'd be very interested to know if they would actually be interested in hearing his communication. Um, he, um, he, he said that he's very, very happy where he is. Um, he said that he doesn't um, play drums anymore, but he's got very interested in all sorts of other things. Um, he likes cars, and he like we. And I remember, of course, I read a book about motorcycles, and he, he loves motorcycles. And he did actually mention that he really would like one day. Um, not now, but one day to take me on a journey where he is on his bike, his motorbike, um, probably similar to what he did in his books. And I think that's quite fascinating. Um, he's got a pet dog. Uh, I think it's a big black Labrador. He's very happy with that pet dog. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's met up with people that he knew who have passed on. Um, and he's been very, very private. He's not wanting to tell me who they are. I, I have a feeling only because... Um, he's passing that through to me that it was very close, very close relations. But he he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't think it's it's right that he should talk about people that he's uh, that he's met um, and who they are. But he he wants everyone to know that he is perfectly happy where he is, and he thinks deeply about the people he's left behind. Um, but he doesn't want to say any more than that at the moment because I think he feels that he's got to get that response from people who he had passed that message to that you know if I can make contact and he's obviously chosen to do that through me um, they should make contact back and at that point there will be a connection and then he'd be prepared to say more but for now I think he's perfectly happy for everyone just to be agnostic and he's saying to me that you know he can't expect people to believe because he certainly didn't believe much when he was alive um, and he's quite aston astonished now. Um, he wants to say that, completely astonished at what he's seen and, and, and how life has, is and how his existence is and all the things that he's capable of doing now. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. He is so, he's so thrilled that it's everything that it could ever be and, and more. Uh, and he wants us to know that there is no, don't be scared of death, he's saying. Please don't be scared of dying. There's nothing to be scared about. It's just the most natural um, part of what you are. And he's actually saying, in fact, there are far more people who, in, in his position up there who are scared of, of having a life. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's not always an easy decision to, 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 to choose to have a life. And he did. He chose his life and he made his mistakes. And 
which is strange because I think he was very successful, but he's saying, no, I, I made some very serious mistakes in my life. Again, he says a lot of this has not been publicized and is not known. Uh, something, Some things he would say to the right people if that chance came about, but in a way it's not always public knowledge. Uh, and he's wanting to say that, you know, being a star, being someone that is in the public eye, is just... It's nothing. It's a superfluous bit of nonsense. He's very, very critical of it. He's saying it's complete bullshit, basically. He says, ultimately, he's a human being who had a life, who had a job, and he enjoyed doing his job with a bunch of friends. And he had a great family. He had terrible tragedies as well. But he made some serious mistakes. He says, we all make mistakes. We weren't all heroes. Um, but he's very good where he is. Okay, and I think that's really all he wants to say. So thank you, Neil, for coming over and passing that message to me. And that really, uh, I hope, won't be the last time that we speak. Thank you very much for coming over. Mm-hmm.